Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And we're going to get into the political machine here in the United States, as always. Uh, But first, as we always do, we're going to start with our update on COVID. Uh, We are at 104.7 million cases. 1.14 million people have died from the disease, and 676 million people have been vaccinated at least one dose or more. So we continue to uh, keep an eye on the Arcturus variant that is uh, slowly spreading across the country, and it is something that we need to be aware of and take all the necessary precautions for. Uh, You all know the drill. Uh, masks when necessary, social distancing when necessary, and generally uh, keeping yourself as healthy as possible. So with that being said, um, as you know, if you followed the recent few podcasts that we have placed out there, uh, we are uh, addressing the voting and uh, preparing to vote for those people who are in the uh, millennial gen x gen y gen z generations as you guys will be coming of voting age if you aren't already by the time the 2024 national elections roll around so i wanted to give you in this episode we've talked about issues and we're going to talk about a few more but i wanted to give you some action steps that you can take right now and that you should take right now as we sit some uh, 21, 22 months out from the November 2024 elections. Uh, You can reach out and uh, get in touch with and find information uh, on your state and federal representatives, uh, obviously through the web. I'm going to give you a few addresses uh, that you can check out, uh, but first, of course, to Uh, Speak to the office of your uh, senator in Washington or your uh, representatives in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. The best way to reach out to them by phone is to contact the Capitol switchboard. And that number is, and you should write this down and put it in your phone as one of your favorites, uh, the Capitol switchboard is area code 202-224-224. 3121. Now you call that number and let them know who your senator is that you would like to speak to uh, or who your uh, representative is. Uh, Keep in mind for the Senate that you have uh, two representatives uh, in the Senate. Uh, The the Senate districts are not split up uh, within the state as are the House districts. So both senators are Uh, responsible to the entire state. Uh, So again, that number is 202-224-3121. Please save that in your phone and and start getting into the habit of communicating with their offices on a regular basis. Uh, There are some websites out there that you can find valuable information on who your, your state as well as your federal elected officials are. Uh, The first one I'm going to give you is vote.org. That's V-O-T-E dot org. Uh, The second one is ballotpedia.org. And Ballotpedia is a site that not only contains contact information, but also gives you things like the legislative agenda and the House and Senate and so forth. And then there's a third one where if you don't know who your Uh, state representatives are, uh, for example, you can go to openstates.org and put in your zip code in the search field and it will give you uh, who your state representatives are, what district you're in, as well as your your U.S. senator and U.S. congresspersons. So those are are valuable uh, reference websites that you can go check out. And, of course, you can find out what's going on uh, in the, uh, the Senate, the House, uh, the Supreme Court, and the White House. For the Senate, if you, con- if you uh, put in uh, www.senate.gov, that's S-E-N-A-T-E dot G-O-V, uh, 
uh, you can see the United States Senate webpage and it gives you, you know, not only information on who the senators are, but more importantly, it tells you what the Senate uh, legislative agenda consists of, what bills they are considering uh, in the current session, uh, what the status of bills is. So there's a wealth of information there that you can find about what's going on in the Senate. Uh, the second one is www.house.gov, H-O-U-S-E. And that is a similar site that gives you uh, the current uh, legislative agenda for the 118th Congress uh, and you know where bills stand, what bills are coming to the floor and when. So there, there's a lot of information there that as you get more engaged, you can, you can find out what's going on and what your federal legislators are talking about. Of course, the White House has its own website, and that's at whitehouse.gov, W-H-I-T-E-H-O-U-S-E, uh, -E, one word, dot gov. Uh, and that's an informational site about the goings-on at the White House, but there's also information on such things as the latest press briefings and you know initiatives that are being worked on at the White House. So there's, there's valuable information there. And finally, uh, the Supreme Court has a website, uh, and it is uh, www.supremecourt, again, one word, uh, .gov. And there you can find out uh, what cases uh, have been heard, uh, not only in the current session, but there's a history uh, going back over the past uh, you know, few years and so forth as to what cases have been heard uh, in the Supreme Court. Uh, it is you know, a, a little bit more uh, meaty read than either the House, Senate, or White House websites, uh, but it is still nonetheless an interesting uh, way to find out uh, what the Supreme Court is considering, uh, what cases are on their docket coming forward, and uh, for those of you who are uh, more in the, the sense of you know, the legal realm, uh, you can uh, dig into the individual cases from there and get more detailed information. So those are you know, some websites out there that uh, can give you some valuable information. So the, the next question is, uh, being armed with the who, now we need to dig into the what. And by what, I mean, what do we do with the information that we find uh, on these websites? Well, we use it in our communications with our elected officials. Uh, if you uh, are looking to inquire with your elected officials about a specific bill or piece of legislation or something that uh, the body is considering, uh, these are the places that you go to start to become more informed about what's going on, starting to get the details uh, without the spin that comes out of, you know, the media outlets and, and social media and so forth. It is here that you find the, the facts, the details, uh, the actual documents, uh, you know, the, the text of the bills and so forth, so that you can form your own opinion, which is something that we advocate for uh, all the time here on Fired Up Podcast. So, Definitely uh, use you know, these websites uh, and, and build your information background uh, so that when you're talking with your elected officials, you can ask them you know, not only where they stand, but why they, they hold the positions they hold and how those positions fit in with your agenda and the reasons that you voted for them to go to represent you in those political offices. So for, for you, the, the young ones out there, you know, for you, you, you Gen X, Y, Z, uh, this is where you go to find out what's going on in your government. This is where you go to find out what they're talking about, what things they're considering. Uh, and, and as we always say here on this show, you know, you need to go to the source to get the straight facts uh, without the spin from you know whatever media sources that you listen to from whichever side of the political spectrum that you are, uh, even if you are you know 
uh, liberal, progressive, conservative, independent, knowing the the actual text of uh, a bill that you are are concerned about uh, is one way to make sure that you are properly armed for your discussions with your elected officials. Uh, you ne definitely want to come to them with facts in hand, uh, you know, with receipts as well as with any, you know, your personal uh, stories or anecdotes or anything that you can bring to the table to help define the issue for your elected official. Uh, it, it is something that you know, I do on a regular basis, um, calling in to give my opinions and you know, what I think my elected officials need to do and what I am, am asking slash telling them that I want them to do. So that's part of how you get engaged. The final part is the actual get engaged. Uh, start making it a regular practice. When you hear about something going on, whether it's in your state legislature or at the, the federal level, use these websites. Dig into them. Find out what's going on. Uh, get your facts. Get your information. And then reach out. Um, there's also information on these sites about how to communicate with them uh, through a letter or by fax. Uh, they give you examples of how your, your letter or fax should be framed, you know, how, how you address it and so forth. So there's a lot of information there that is very valuable for you know, what we should be doing as the voting public, regardless of our party. Uh, we need to make sure that we are engaging with our elected officials on a regular basis. So, you know, there you have it. I will post uh, the information in a document on uh, the Facebook page so that you can you know, download it and save it to your, your phone, your tablet, your computer, stick it to the wall, whatever you want to do so that you have the information at your fingertips when you need it. And please definitely exercise this these communication channels this is the the way that we the people tell the folks that we have elected to send to uh, our state legislatures or to our uh, house senate uh, that that we want them to be aware of what our position is uh, this is how you influence your your elected officials and you know especially as I said, for you in the, you know, the 18 to uh, 34 range, you guys are the prime movers. Uh, you are becoming the largest voting block uh, in, in the electorate, and your influence is going to be key in the coming, coming years, not just for the uh, 2024 elections, but for all the election cycles uh, going forward. So you know, make it a practice, make it a habit to routinely call and voice your opinions to your elected officials. So there, there's, there's your, your walk-in, your marching orders uh, from Fired Up. This is our action plan, and uh, we will be talking about this on a regular basis, uh, things that you know, we should be communicating to our elected officials. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also that your elected officials uh, all have uh, social media presence out there um, you know, on pretty much the, the major platforms that are out there. Definitely Facebook, definitely Twitter, uh, probably Snapchat, and, and you know, many, many more. So you know, don't, don't neglect to utilize social media to get your message to your elected officials. All right, let's move on to uh, the next uh, topic that we want to talk about here. Um, so we've had a lot of conversations uh, on this show over the past uh, months about the efforts underway uh, from the, the conservative uh, right slash Republican side on uh, uh, you know, banning books and you know, restricting access to certain printed documents and so forth. Uh, we've talked about that a great deal here on this show. Uh, an article came across my uh, my radar here 
where it uh, says that Illinois is set to become the first state to end book bans. Uh, and this was posted on uh, the 3rd of May, and uh, it, it reads, uh, Illinois is poised to become the first state to punish public institutions that ban books. Uh, Governor, Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker said he supports a House bill that would withhold state funding from any of the state's 1,600 public or school libraries that remove books from their shelves. Uh, it passed in the Illinois Senate on Wednesday, and Pritzker is expected to sign the legislation. Uh, essentially, what this article is talking about is uh, that in, in response to the current efforts uh, that, you know, uh, that we've been talking about and that the media has been covering you know, from you know, states like Florida and Texas and others, uh, in Illinois, uh, the House and Senate both voted uh, by substantial margins to approve this bill, which is expected to be signed uh, by Governor Pritzker uh, later on this week. Uh, the bill came from uh, newly elected Secretary of State Alexei Giannoulias, whose uh, office oversees library systems and their funding. Uh, Giannoulias is a Democrat who said he couldn't fathom that book banning is happening in 2023. Uh, efforts, you know, to curb reading materials are, quote, about restricting the freedom of ideas that certain individuals disagree with and that certain individuals think others should have access to. Republican lawmakers who oppose the legislation have argued that their goal is to make sure books distributed in public schools and libraries are age-appropriate. Uh, for example, Re Republican State Senator Jason Plummer called the legislation an example of Democrats, quote, pushing an ideology on Illinois citizens regardless of where they live or what they believe. Uh, other Republicans raised questions about the bill possibly allowing libraries that don't allow drag shows to reserve library meeting rooms uh, to be penalized which sponsors say are decisions that should be decided by librarians, not community members who oppose such groups. Uh, a library that doesn't certify either of the statements or takes the next step of banning a book will not be eligible for grant funding from the Secretary of State, according to information from his office. Uh, so, you know, we, we have what sounds like uh, the first uh, pushback at the state level on this movement uh, of banning books uh, in, in, in the states that we've seen over the past few months. So we'll keep an eye on this and we'll also keep an eye out to see if other states uh, pick up on this trend. So moving on to another, uh, what could be a state first, uh, and this one comes out of California, a little article that again crossed my radar and uh, I picked up on. And as you know, with this podcast, uh, we talk about uh, how the mechanisms of government work. And one of the things that has been a sub subject of much discussion over the years, and, and by over the years, I mean decades, uh, is the subject of reparations for descendants of enslaved Africans here in this country. It is a, a subject that has received a lot of heated debate uh, over the years. Uh, it it uh, routinely comes up for discussions uh, just about every year and seems to continue to just orbit in uh, sort of a non-resolution uh, non state uh, year over year over year. Uh, but what I found in this article, and uh, I don't know if it's going to get widespread attention, but I hope that it does because I think it's important. Um, in California, uh, a reparation, the reparations panel has okayed a state apology and payment strategy uh, for uh, addressing uh, black residents uh, of the state of California. Uh, and I'll, I'll read the article. It's, it's relatively short, uh, but I uh, want to bring this information to you because it is something that we have talked about on many occasions here uh, on the Fired Up podcast and, and show. 
so this comes out of Oakland, uh, reported by the Associated Press. Uh, California's Reparations Task Force voted Saturday to approve recommendations on how the state may compensate and apologize to black residents for generations of harm caused by discriminatory policies. The nine-member committee, which first convened nearly two years ago, gave final approval at a meeting in Oakland to a hefty list of proposals that now go to state lawmakers to consider for reparations legislation. United States Representative Barbara Lee, a Democrat of Oakland, who is co-sponsoring a bill in Congress to study restitution proposals for African Americans at the meeting, called on states and the federal government to pass reparations legislation. And she's quoted, uh, reparations are not only morally justifiable, but they have the potential to address long-standing racial disparities and inequalities, uh, she said. The panel's first vote approved a detailed account of historical discrimination against black Californians in areas such as voting, housing, education, disproportionate policing, incarceration, and others. Other recommendations on the table ranged from the creation of a new agency to provide services to descendants of enslaved people to calculations on what the state owes them in compensation. So just by, by way of reference, um, in the, the three plus years that we've been doing this show, uh, we've talked about the issue of reparations for enslaved Africans uh, in this country on several occasions over the years. And as I said, it always seems to uh, come up, uh, have some heated discussion, and then uh, fade into the relative background. Uh, so the, the actions by the California Reparations Panel uh, is very exciting in terms of it is uh, apparently the first concrete effort by a state to uh, actively address uh, the, the issue of reparations owed to the descendants of enslaved African people in this country. Uh, it is uh, something that um, we will keep a very, very close eye on. Uh, it is you know, very important legislation. And again, you know, it is something that absolutely should be a, a subject that you use in exercising the communications methods uh, I gave you uh, for your state legislators. So if you are a California resident and you are concerned about uh, seeing reparations uh, come to fruition uh, for the descendants of uh, enslaved African people, uh, this is something that you should begin to engage with your state uh, reps and state legislators uh, to let them know that this is a subject that you are very uh, concerned about, that you think is uh, worthy of their uh, action and attention. And, you know, it, it is essentially it's the right thing to do. Uh, there is precedent for it. Uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, state of California uh, approved uh, reparations for interred uh, Japanese residents during World War II uh, who were rounded up and kept in internment camps uh, through the, the duration of the war for no other reason than the fact that they were of Japanese descent. Uh, and, you know, there, there are other uh, examples from other parts of the country where, you know, some form of restitution or recompense has been given to, uh, to groups who have been wronged uh, by the United States uh, for one reason or another. So hopefully we will see this not only become something that, uh, that becomes uh, law in the state of California, but through that effort uh, moves and becomes a broader uh, approach uh, throughout the United States. Now, I'm I'm not so delusional that I think you know if California does this, that you know all the other states are going to fall in line. But you know, a journey of a thousand steps begins with one single step, 
and the the journey toward uh, ultimately seeing some level of uh, reparation and apology to the descendants of the enslaved people uh, and that were were brought to this country, uh, you know, in, in sixteen hundred, um, is is something that uh, hopefully we will see make you know substantial progress, uh, perhaps even moving to a, a successful conclusion, uh, you know, uh, within the foreseeable future. Uh, it, it is, as I said, it's long overdue. Uh, it's the right thing to do. And it, it is something that, you know, every uh, American who believes in equality and fairness uh, should be encouraging their elected officials to, to stand with and, and, and bring to fruition. So, of course, as always, we will uh, put this on our radar and keep an eye out to see the progress of the of this through the California legislature and to see if, uh, you know, re uh, vibrations of this get picked up on a more national level. Uh, but keep in mind, as I've, as I've said, you know, you can help move that needle through your efforts at communicating with your uh, elected officials. And, you know, for, for you younger voters out there, this is a perfect issue for you to, uh, exercise uh, and and start the conversations with your elected officials. Uh, you know, reach out to them, find out where they are. If they're back in the district, uh, call their offices, call their local district office, and set up time. Gather your friends together. Uh, start a letter writing campaign. All of these things, um, you know, which which may seem, uh, dare I say, small. Uh, in in the in the micro scale, when you start to add them up with you know other groups uh, throughout your state and you know across the country, they become a mighty wave that can affect real change in this country. So absolutely, uh, dig into the issue, especially if you are a resident of California. Find out where your uh, state reps stand on this issue and make sure that you communicate to them what your feelings and what your intentions are as to what they should do about this important issue. So uh, that's a great point to uh, take our first break and we will come back on the other side and we're gonna talk about you know one of the 800 pound gorillas uh, in the room uh, that, that has been occupying uh, so much media airtime of late and that is the debt ceiling crisis. Uh, we've got some updates uh, on it, and we will bring all of that to you after we hear this uh, important message from WJMS Media. Stay tuned. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. I'll be right back after the break. WJMS Media is proud to be the Raise Your Voice media sponsor for the American Lung Association's Lung Force Walk. Join us at Pier 16 South Street Seaport, New York, New York on May 13th at 9.30 a.m. Walk with us to help us raise funds and critical awareness to end lung cancer and other chronic lung diseases. To learn more about participating or making a donation, visit www.lungforce.org NYC. Your donation and participation will help support the American Lung Association's research innovation, which leads to early detection for all and better treatments that give everyone a fighting chance. Small steps, bold strides. And we're back. Of course, the Lung Forest Cancer Walk is this coming Saturday, the 13th of May and it will be at the uh, South Street Seaport. If you're in the New York area uh, and you want to have a great day of uh, events and walk and supporting a good cause, come down and join us. We'll be out. Uh, hopefully the weather's going to be good and everything will just be a marvelous time and we look forward to seeing you. All right, getting back into our stories. Uh, in a recent episode, uh, I think it was last week, uh, we talked about the Republican proposal for uh, the budget deficit and how they want to tie it 
to several uh, items of spending cuts uh, across various programs uh, in the federal government. Uh, just to recap, uh, the bill, which uh, would generate you know, savings in the amount of uh, $4.5 trillion at least, uh, but is going to cut some key parts of uh, current spending. For example, uh, just to recap, uh, the bill would impose limits on government funding uh, tying it to a 1% annual growth after setting the spending limits back to uh, fiscal 2022 levels or pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the bill also would look to roll back um, Biden administration actions on student loans, including the ongoing loan repayment process and, and its sweeping plan to provide widespread forgiveness. Uh, the energy sector would uh, see some significant cuts, uh, including the entirety of uh, the H.R. 1 Lower Energy Costs Act. Uh, and that's actually a GOP uh, energy package, uh, but it would also uh, impose cutbacks on several areas of the energy bills that would uh, impact infrastructure around, uh, you know, in internet and electric vehicle charging and some other things. Uh, the bill would impose uh, or beef up work requirements for the SNAP program. Uh, the uh, also would outline work requirements for Medicaid, uh, although it does not indicate changes to Social Security and Medicare. Uh, common wisdom is that those aren't really off the table and may yet uh, be part of the package uh, that is uh, in the negotiation efforts. Um, so it also would um, pull back any unspent funds in that were allocated for uh, coronavirus uh, rescue package uh, that was signed into law in March of 2021 by President Biden. Uh, and it would also, uh, the bill also has measures targeting aspects of the in Inflation Reduction Act, uh, signature piece of uh, Biden's domestic agenda. And uh, even though it was, it was passed without uh, GOP support, uh, they're talking about uh, roughly uh, $70 billion in an IRS funding boost that would be eliminated. And also it would uh, target, as I mentioned above, certain green giveaways, as they call it, um, appealing to refer, I'm sorry, appearing to refer to green energy tax credits uh, that were in the Democratic plan. So the, the budget plan that the Republicans are proposing uh, would provide for an increase to the debt ceiling that, by the way, uh, would only uh, carry for one year. It would go until uh, March of 2024. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that element to it. So the, the upshot is that a, a meeting is scheduled uh, with President Biden, um, Mitch McConnell, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, and, and other uh, senior leadership in the Republican and Democrat parties to try and work out the compromise uh, agreement in order to pass a uh, debt ceiling raise. Uh, and, you know, if the Republicans are successful, there would be the substantial spending cuts that I've mentioned along with others. Uh, the Democrats uh, have stated and, and their position is that they want a clean debt ceiling bill. No attachments, no riders, uh, no additional appropriations. Uh, the Republicans want to tie that debt ceiling bill to you know, the, the cuts that I have mentioned uh, along with others. Uh, and you know, they've been at an impasse now since the uh, administration budget came out in February. And according to recent news from Janet Yellen uh, and you know, from the, the Fed, that uh, the United States could uh, default on its, uh, its credit by the 1st of June. Uh, 
So, you know, we've seen where they had said, you know, earlier it would be, you know, perhaps early fall, then it became sometime in the summer. Now, as, you know, the, the numbers become more clear, it seems like the, the beginning of June is when the U.S. Uh, would no longer be able to pay its incurred bills. And uh, that, by everyone's uh, estimation, would cause uh, you know, financial disaster here in this country, uh, would lead to the elimination of millions of jobs, uh, the furlough of government workers, uh, just a, a whole range of catastrophic measures that would occur, not the least of which is realize that the American currency is, is what is known as a basis currency around the world. That is that other countries' money is tied to the U.S. dollar. And if uh, the U.S. defaults on its debt, uh, that, uh, that support becomes uh, very much in doubt and it could cause economic uh, chaos, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So, you know, it, it's a very, very, very serious problem that has received a lot of attention uh, in the media and, you know, on Capitol Hill. Uh, and yet uh, we have this brinksmanship game going on between, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy and President Biden. Uh, neither one appears at this point to blink. Uh, it, it's clear if you have been following this that, you know, the, the strategy the Republicans appear to be playing is to move this problem up to the 11th hour, which would then force the Democrats to concede on, you know, one or more of their, their policy demands uh, in order for the Republicans to vote through a uh, debt ceiling raise. Uh, and, you know, frankly, uh, this is not something that, that, that should be played games with. And many, many um, analysts and, and members of, of the uh, Federal Reserve and, and others, the budget offices and so forth, have said is going to lead to you know, the United States uh, falling into a recession. Uh, and that could be catastrophic in terms of the impact it would have on you know the the working people in this country the you and the me uh, are, are going to feel the brunt of this uh, as you know services get cut and you know social security checks go unpaid and bills go unpaid you know and for for people who are not familiar <clears throat> something to keep in mind is this debt ceiling debate is not about money that is going to be spent in the future. This is money that has been committed and spent, you know, borrowed money that needs to be paid back for things already in place. You know, think of it like your, your credit card uh, or any other loan that you have. Uh, you have once you take that money and use it for whatever purpose, you know, then you've got to pay it back. So your obligation becomes to pay that debt back. And that's where the United States finds itself right now. We are in a position where uh, there is a possibility that we will not be able to pay the debts, the public debt of this country. Now, the the responsibility for paying the public debt uh, is is clearly defined as the responsibility of the House of Representatives. The House controls the purse strings, and it is outlined in the Constitution that they have that responsibility. That is their job. So the the key is that the Republicans are playing this game of brinksmanship uh, in order to to move forward with. Uh, items on their agenda in terms of, of conservative uh, fiscal policy, uh, and they are using the threat of a default on our debt as a sword hanging over the head of the administration to force them to accede to you know their demands for these cuts. Now, I mean there are there are alternatives, uh, and we're we're going to talk about one of them in a minute, but clearly. Uh, 
this can be resolved uh, in, in a matter of a day uh, with an agreement that you know, the, the debt ceiling would be raised and perhaps a, a negotiation prog promise uh, to the, the Republicans by the Democrats to say, if uh, you give us a clean debt ceiling bill, we will sit down and negotiate in good faith on the other budget items. Um, another proposal that is out there is to tie the uh, debt ceiling uh, cuts that the Republicans want into the overall uh, budget process. What that would mean is that you know Congress would uh, would raise the debt ceiling for a period of time up until the end of September when the fiscal year ends and move the proposed cuts they want to have into the budget negotiation process uh, that is due to begin in another few months uh, in, and deal with it that way. So you know there is the chance that the Republicans would gain uh, some of the, the cuts they are seeking uh, and you know the, the country would see its debt ceiling limit raised uh, and you know and go forward from there uh, and related to that there's an article uh, that came out on Sunday uh, that mentioned uh, a consideration or a, a, a process that the Democrats are considering to utilize a um, a contingency in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution and, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, and, and essentially force the Republicans to, to deal on the debt ceiling uh, in order to maintain their constitutional responsibility. So, you know, it, it is um, clear that, you know, there, there's an impasse. Um, the leadership in, and the president are slated to sit down and begin uh, their negotiations uh, later on this week. Uh, and in the meantime, again, here's another uh, thing that we need to be communicating to our representatives in Washington uh, that you know, we want uh, the debt ceiling issue resolved, that we do not want a default. Uh, this is not something that the United States should be gambling with. We tasted a little bit of this, just as, as sort of a historical reference. Uh, during the Obama administration, we had a similar situation where uh, the Republicans were holding the, the debt ceiling and the budget process hostage in order to achieve uh, some across-the-board spending cuts. Uh, and you know, it, it was, uh, ended up being what is known as the sequester, where uh, a, a a process was put in place uh, with pretty much a dollar for dollar cut to federal spending for any increases uh, into uh, federal expenditures. Uh, and these cuts were, were universal. Even the items that seem and normally are untouchable, such as defense spending uh, in particular, uh, were subject to cuts under the sequester. Uh, so, you know, we, we've seen this, uh, this approach to the cliff before, and it also, as a result of the uncertainty, uh, caused the credit rating for the United States of America, for the entire country, to be lowered uh, by the credit rating services uh, as a result of, you know, this, this gamble that was being played, this brinksmanship that was being undertaken. Uh, and we can't uh, see that happen again. Right now we're dealing with uh, still um, high inflation. Uh, I believe it's the latest numbers I've seen are somewhere around 5% or 5.1%. Um, and, you know, we're still recovering our economy from the pandemic. Uh, even though jobs uh, have been growing strong and unemployment is low, there are still elements to the economy uh, that are fragile, and such a gamble as to play with the debt ceiling limit 
uh, could lead to severe uh, damage to our economic uh, situation here. Now, I mentioned before that um, there was talk about exercising a clause in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, and uh, there's news articles out about it uh, that talk about um, political officials are discussing the possibility that President Biden could use the powers of a clause in the 14th Amendment as a last-ditch last effort to ward off the looming threat that the U.S. could default on its debt as soon as next month. Uh, and by the way, Janet Yellen is saying that uh, that default deadline now sits at June 1st, which means it's about three weeks away as this um, podcast uh, is produced. Um, you know, there is uh, you know, a, a, a concern that the, the debt failure would consider would create a constitutional crisis. And, in, and also, if the president relies on the 14th Amendment, and, and by the way, this, this clause in here vaguely and obscurely addresses the nation's debt, according to the article, in a way that legal scholars believe allows the president to continue issuing debts without lifting or suspending the debt ceiling. Uh, and the worry is that you know, this leads to uh, a way that we cannot protect our financial system in our economy other than Congress doing its job and raising the debt ceiling and enables us and enabling us to pay our bills and we should not get to the point where we need to consider whether the present president can go on issuing debt this would be a constitutional crisis and this is a quote from Janet Yellen uh, who was on ABC's uh, this week uh, this past Sunday um, you know the the article talks about how um, Biden technically can take the action and White House aides have reportedly looked at the possibility of executing this clause in the 14th Amendment in order to avoid a default. Um, and, you know, it, this is this is stupid. You know, it, it's clear that, you know, the the for the Republicans, this is a very bad look. The optics on this are not good. Because what it seems to say is that the Republicans don't care about um, our our uh, debt. They don't care about the programs that impact uh, low and and moderate income people, such as SNAP, such as um, you know Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, it and you know they they simply want to hold this sword over the head of the administration to achieve these uh, ultra-conservative goals of you know, cutting spending back in areas that they don't agree with. Rather than you know, sit down at the negotiating table in good faith and come up with compromises, which is what Congress is supposed to do, hello, uh, and, you know, and, and figure out a plan that achieves some, you know, cuts and perhaps even make some cuts to defense spending, which, by the way, accounts for nearly uh, 60-something percent of uh, our, our federal budget uh, and seems to be a third rail that uh, is never to be touched in terms of uh, trimming how much money the Defense Department gets. And there have been numerous articles that talked about wasteful spending in the Department of Defense and weapon systems that uh, cost billions and billions of dollars that we have no practical need for at this time and, and other things. Um, and, you know, yet the Republicans, uh, the only cuts they are talking in anything related to defense is that they are talking about cutting uh, some VA programs uh, and you know support for our veterans, particularly around areas of their medical care. And this is another you know another example of the apparent hypocrisy of the Republican Party. Um, they have spent great effort talking about how they are 
so in in support of our veterans and taking care of you know the working class people in this country and you know all of these things and yet the cuts they are proposing are going to target and impact all of these groups uh and you know it just raises the question do you really care um this is something that we the people need to take a very firm and very vocal stance on we need to be communicating with our elected officials uh, on both sides of the aisle we need to be saying to democrats uh, you guys need to take a tougher stand you guys need to you know draw this line and 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 bring republicans to the table with the understanding that you know we are going to negotiate a solution to this we are not going to accede to um, hostage threats um, and you know for Republicans uh, it this is as I said uh, a few minutes ago optically this is a very bad look for you uh, as we run up to the 2024 elections if the America defaults on its debt and ends up going into a recession uh, Republicans you can say it all you want, but the facts won't support it. This is not the Democrats' creation. This is your creation with your budget proposal and the draconian cuts that you want to make to important programs uh, and you know negotiating not in good faith. Um, we need to make sure the electorate needs to make sure that the Republicans clearly understand that if we default on our debt that you know we are holding the republican party accountable for it and elections are coming and you know these things have consequences uh the the in in the obama administration when the sequester happened the republicans got a huge uh backlash from it and you know lost seats in the house and the senate basically um setting them back years and that can happen again uh right now the republican party as it were um you know is is fractured it is split into you know a a more traditional republican model you know of being you know fiscally conservative yes uh, socially uh, a little more moderate uh, and they have become this extreme party being led by a small fraction of its membership uh, and you know and are holding uh, the the American people hostage to their desire to secure their power uh, you know at the state level, and we've talked about this innumerable times, um, you know, the, the continued gerrymandering of congressional districts, the continued uh, assault on, you know, freedoms in this country, uh, the, the continued efforts at controlling uh, the, the message and the teaching uh, to eliminate uh, references to minorities in you know in this country and their contributions to history uh, this is you know a, a very bad look for Republicans uh, if they want to remain a a viable um, party and by viable I mean uh, one that can stand on you know more or less equal terms with the Democrats uh, the Republicans writ large are going to have to understand that there are the need that there is a need for compromise that you cannot have everything that you want if it is going to cost the American people uh, their freedoms their health uh, their education their economy their jobs uh, you cannot survive by taking this this stand it is not a winnable position for you in the longer term so um, getting back to the article uh, specifically the amendment or, or the the section of the 14th amendment that is being referred to um, and you know what it does 
it chiefly extended the Bill of Rights liberties to formerly enslaved people, but also includes a section saying, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. Uh, what that means is, and, and what the Biden administration is interpreting that to mean, is that it is a non-negotiable position that the debt of the United States must be resolved. That it, it is not something that uh, Congress can you know, avoid, uh, not do, uh, ignore. It must be paid. Uh, and that it is required in, in our Constitution, and as such, it is uh, not negotiable. Now, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, um, you know, the negotiations that are set to, to kick off this coming Tuesday uh, should definitely include uh, the, the approach of separating the debt ceiling cure with the budget concerns that the Republicans have and negotiate you know that on a separate basis the two should be separated uh, I, I don't have a problem with Republicans wanting to see spending cuts in in areas um, I think that you know the Democrats need to recognize that you know there is a, a spending problem in this country and they need to do their part as well to rein it in, uh, we cannot continue to you know spend wildly like you know there there's no end to the amount of money that's out there. Um, we need to be responsible for our debts and our obligations. That is without question. However, we also need to be responsible with how we spend money. Uh, we need to look at you know and and I am of the opinion. Uh, that you know, defense uh, should not be excluded from considerations on spending cuts, uh, and you know, I I understand that you know that that is very much a third rail in this country that people do not uh, do not talk uh, politically about cutting defense spending, but I think that there are uh, excesses in the defense department. That, you know, as I said, you know, we no longer need uh, or, or we do not have a scenario where, you know, certain weapon systems or certain approaches uh, are needed. And we should be looking at those and seeing if we can, uh, you know, pull those back, lower that spending or eliminate it and return that money to, you know, to more fruitful things. So we will see what transpires in the coming week uh, this is going to be the you know 800 pound gorilla that everybody is going to be talking about as these negotiations get underway and we are going to be out there we're going to be looking for uh, the insights and the stories that may not be making it out through the mainstream media sources uh, as we do here on this program we try and find the other things that people are not talking about and bring those out so, you know, clearly it's time for all of us to get engaged. It's time for all of us to take action. Uh, as I said, I'm going to post the addresses and the links in my Facebook page. Please go there and, and uh, download those. I'm going to post it as a document so that you can download the whole thing. And uh, make sure that you get engaged with the political system. As always, if you have comments or questions, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. This is our call to action. This is what we, the voters, need to do. So get the document, get the information, uh, put the links in your favorites on your browser, put the phone number for the Capital Switchboard in your phone as a, as a favorite, and let's get engaged, let's get involved, let's get fired up. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. As always, it is my pleasure to bring you this information. Uh, I am uh, hopeful that everybody will stay safe, stay engaged, and stay informed. And I look forward to talking with you all again in seven days.